Hello and welcome to another episode of Triassic Park. And you're entering 80s Splatter Month. We're covering a whole bunch of 80s movies, five of them in fact, that feature big old monsties and a lot of blood. This one is directed by Chuck Russell. Chuck Russell was tired of working behind the scenes. He had learned a lot from his time with stunt coordinator Alan Gibbs, He'd worked as an assistant director and even had one of his screenplays made into a movie and that was 1984's Dreamscape, but he wanted a chance to direct a feature of his very own. He decided the best course of action would be to write a screenplay with Frank Darabont, who he had met whilst working on 1981's Hell Knight. After seeing David Cronenberg's remake of The Fly, he thought that they could take a similar concept by remaking another 50s creature feature, The Blob. He called up Jack Harris, the producer of the 1958 version, and got the rights. He immediately started shopping the script around town. One of the meetings he had was with New Line Cinema exec Bob Shea. Bob Shea rejected the blob, but he wanted him to helm the next entry in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Hence, Dream Warriors was born. After the success of Dream Warriors, Russell finally got his chance and on the 30th anniversary of the original, he would unleash his Splatterfest on the world with 1988's The Blob. Filmed in Abbeville, South Carolina, The Blob is one of the final creature features implemented without any CGI. There is reportedly a single shot of the frozen blob in CG. Uh, personally, I don't think that's true. Regardless, if Russell had had his way, he'd go back into the movie and touch the whole thing up George Lucas style. See, Russell knew CG was on its way and lamented the fact that he had to use practical effects. Seeing the final product of the blob, even today, it's hard to imagine a better use of practical effects. This is the ultimate implementation of the medium, using the highest tech available at the time and everybody on the effects team was pulling double, triple, quadruple duty. Tony Gardner, who was the man in charge of makeup, he had to work side by side with modelers, puppeteers, the mechanical team, the stunt team, the production designer, everyone. The blob was notoriously hard to work on as they had every single crew member taking up things that were not really normal uh, to their roles. For example, they had to film and fill up huge silken bags full of methicil, which is a thickening agent used in milkshakes, and then they had to ensure the then extremely heavy blob pieces moved realistically. Some technicians reported working 100-hour weeks in production, and yet nobody talks about this movie as if it was a bad time. One of the things you really get struck with from Russell's interview on the Screen Factory release of The Blob is that he was a man concerned with safety. From his time in the stunt department, he learned the importance of keeping a crew safe. In this film, he would go up to any of the stunt requirements himself, and if he thought it was unsafe to him, he wouldn't put his actors through it. For the sequences with Donovan Leach Jr. getting covered in The Blob, he used short takes in order to ensure Leach would not be in any danger. The Blob has kind of languished in the horror community for many years. It failed to make a big impact on initial release and has been overshadowed by The Thing and The Fly. This is an oversight as there are so many great things on display in this movie. This movie keeps you on the edge of your seat and constantly guessing. No one is safe in The Blob. Characters can get off at a moment's notice and as such, the plot escapes the typical genre points normally seen. Russell is a brilliant screenwriter and really seems to understand teens better than many movies we'll end up talking about in the future of this show. Now it's time for our Creature Breakdown. That's right, we're talking about the titular blob itself. Interestingly enough, despite being the title of the movie, there's not a whole lot to talk about here. See, the villain of this movie is just an unfeeling blob. They make references that it may be what killed the dinosaurs, but that's obviously a lie as this is a government cover-up. The uh, novelization tries to kind of make both things true by saying, yes, this the blob did kill the dinosaurs, 
and the scientists reinvented an ancient creature, but that's in the novelization. We'll get into that in a little bit. This is the third movie to feature the blob and the original 1950s classic, the bizarre sequel Beware the Blob, and the remake of the blob we see in this movie. This is the first time you get a definitive origin for the creature. See, normally they describe the blob as an extraterrestrial alien. Not so in this version. This version of the blob is fully man-made. It is a government experiment who has escaped to wreak havoc on a small town. This brings in a whole new conspiracy element to the picture. The other notable portion of this version of the blob is its color. This blob is mostly pink, which adds a whole new array of color to the film. Other than that, this is the same blob you've seen before. A corrosive mass that dissolves all it comes in contact with. The novelization gives it a sensation of pain and hunger. Well, it's not really clear in the film itself. It kind of just absorbs things. Uh, there is some notable additions that other blob movies don't feature. And I would say the biggest portion of that is tentacles. There is a lot of tentacles in this movie and not in the creepy way. Well, I mean creepy... As it, anyways, never mind. Um, but that is a, a little bit of an explanation of the blob. But let's get into the movie itself. And to do that, I have a truly wonderful person. Hello, Kyle. Hello, hello. How is it feeling? Uh, it's going pretty well. I'm pretty excited to talk about this movie. Yeah, no, I am too. I am too. Um, so I guess, like, just start off uh, with what, what, what's your history with The Blob, and what do you think of this movie? <clears throat> well, uh, I've seen moments of the, of the original movie, and I really dug it. Uh, I uh, really appreciated what it was trying to go for in its era, and I thought the creature effects were pretty neat. But uh, I've always heard of the 80s remake, but I'd never actually seen it until just a few years ago, in time for its 30th anniversary. I finally watched it, and I was in love. Uh, the direction by Chuck Russell, the writing by Chuck Russell and Frank Darabont both blew me the hell away. Uh, I mean, when you have Frank Darabont writing a horror movie, you know there's going to be some very, very, very serious shit in it. So, uh, I was already blown away by that. Uh, great performances. I loved the character direction for the movie. Uh, I appreciate how much the movie kind of lures you in with its characters, and you think it's going to go one way, and you think, oh, this character is going to be this character, and that character is going to be the lead, and they're both going to save the day, and things are going to happen this way, but then it doesn't, and oh my god, uh... Things change very abruptly, and they meet a very violent and gruesome end. So, um... Yeah, it's it's not exactly a predictable movie. I think that's one of the things that really, really works in this movie's uh, favor. Chuck Russell's wonderful direction really, like, lures you in where you think you are safe. Like, oh, okay, well, Shawnee Smith's gonna be this character. And this character, they're gonna... Th these characters, they're just gonna do this, and everything's gonna be fine because you feel safe. The the camera, the color direction is nice and warm. It makes you feel like you're in a cozy suburban area and everything's right. going to be all right. And then when things stop being all right, it's like, oh no, this is going to, oh no, this movie is going to be doing this. Uh. Right. Yeah. A, a big, a big portion of like the color timing is, is a lot from Mark Irwin, who is like the director of photography of this movie. And he, he's actually, like, really proud. This was his first big Hollywood movie because he had done The Fly and he had done a lot of stuff with Cronenberg. Uh, so That's a fantastic because uh, uh, I think this movie shares a lot in a lot with the other great remakes of the 80s along with The Thing and The Fly. Uh, both are, as well as other two amazing, phenomenal, just, I can't, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know how to start praising those movies. Like, it's not even that I don't know where, I don't know how. Like, goddamn, those movies are just out of this world phenomenal. Uh, some of my very favorite movies, and just the textbook example of this is how you do a remake. Uh, right, yeah, exactly. I, I think um, uh, what's, what's so interesting about The Blob, like this version of The Blob, is the fact that it is really truly a a like a, a very traditional monster movie that they do in a very untraditional way where uh, I, 
I would say, I mean, like, the, the, like the thing is not really what you think of. Uh, even the thing from Another World, which is a remake of, is not really what you think of when you think of the uh, the prototypical fifties monster movie. Oh and, no! Um, like the way the eighties movie plays out, that scenario is just a beautiful. Like it goes in into so much of a di- entirely different direction. It's it's frigid. It's tense. You just you just get this feeling in the back of your spine. You just you just feel this like everything's just slowly getting worse. But you you think, oh no, they can pull out of this, but they can make it through. But you just you still got that feeling in the back of your spine. You can just feel it growing, and it's just. And then you have, and then you have the fly and. One of my favorite movies of all time, and uh, probably one of the first horror movies that I ever cried at at the end. Uh, I still can't watch that movie without crying at the end. Uh, even on my, uh, sorry to go into a bit of a personal note, but even on uh, my bounds of anti-depression and anti-anxiety medications, I still shed a tear at that damn movie every single time I watch it. At that end, that third act, just, oh God, the waterworks start happening. Oh yeah, I bet. I bet. We're definitely we're gonna later this month. We'll be talking about the thing, so that'll be uh, that'll be an exciting Beautiful. one to, to go into. And uh, I, I I think what what hooked me even further with Chuck Russell directing was that he already started off with some pretty good movies. With the fact that he directed probably one of the greatest movies in the entire franchise of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three. Uh, his direction in that movie was excellent and really well handled. So him going off to to do the Blob was a really great next step. Right. Yeah. It was a it was pretty a pretty good step, and I mean, I was really surprised to find out that this is kind of where he always foresaw his career going. He really wanted to make this version of the Blob, and what's fascinating is everybody who talks about the Blob in all of the behind the scenes and all the special features, they seem to have uh, like one thing in common is that they all. They more or less they respect the original blob, but none of them come from a place of truly loving the original blob, which is a very interesting thing, and it's very different. So uh, the thing uh, is made from love because you know uh, Carpenter loved Howard Hawks. The fly, uh, the fly is made from like respect. I'm not sure what he thinks, but he definitely like built off of that. I feel like Cronenberg. I, I feel like with Cronenberg's take on the fly, he has a respect, but he also has just this, this interest about what body horror can mean. Like it could just mean uh, you're be human, but you have a big ugly mosquito head or a big fly head on your head on your torso, and oh, it's scary. But with Cronenberg, I think he wanted just just to take the idea of body horror and really play with it and run with it and just see what you can really do with it. And I think with the this take on the Blob, I think there is a general, a mutual, uh, very sense of love about the original where it's just like okay, well, the Blob did this in its time, what can we do in our time with making this? Where maybe the Blob, like, uh, the Blob maybe maybe a bit more menacing, and it may be a bit more, maybe, it may be more conniving, or, and one of my uh, thoughts about this movie, I think uh, this is one of the very, very, very few movies where the gore is actually effective and scary. Like, most horror movies where they app the gore, it doesn't really work, and it doesn't really make it effective or scary. I think that is the exact opposite in the 88 Blob. Uh, the gore in this movie is not only very effective, it's also legitimately scary and frightening. Uh, you don't, you don't expect that this character is gonna die in this way. You don't, you, you think maybe the character just might make it or squeak by, but no, they made it, they make a, they unfortunately meet an un, uh, horrible fate, and you see it on screen, and it's horrifying. Yeah, so the, the point I was kind of trying to get across for, for talking about, um, the, the their opinions on the original where they, they they respect it but they don't love it so it's one of those things where people always argue especially nowadays when somebody is remaking a film they go why don't people try to remake a film that they don't like that isn't great that they want to improve on and this is an example of people who saw an original property and they didn't just want to make the same thing over again and 
they wanted to improve on it in their opinion. I love the original Blob. Uh, I can see where they're coming from, though, as wanting to update it and wanting to improve it. But it does come from a place of love, but also trying to strive and do something better than what they saw in the original film, which is very unique uh, in terms of these these giant monster movies. And th again, like this is uh, the reason why I bring it up that, that brought up that this is a more typical giant monster movie uh is that it still it manages to really subvert the tropes in a way that doesn't feel like it's subverting the tropes it's a very unique movie in that regard where it just everything that happens feels like it it happens organically it feels like they kind of set this world up and then they were like okay now let's put organically what would happen. Like, oh, this person dies. How would this organically affect the plot? Whereas, uh, you know, even like some of the earliest uh, movies that do have kind of a more self-referential note to them and, and it kind of like feel like they're playing within genre constructs, they still feel like it's a subversion of the genre and they're doing it very intentionally where unlike something like Scream or something like New Nightmare, they're not really, they're playing around in genre aspects but they are doing so in a very unique way where it feels natural i would say as naturalism is very hard to get across in a monster very true um uh, this movie I, I i just want to express especially that this movie is just about everything that i love about horror movies uh it's like it's funny you mentioned scream because that's also one of my other favorite horror movies but this movie expresses what i love about horror and what gets me about horror and like what i love about horror just the tropes it subverts, the uh, ideas it runs with, the creature features, the effects, the, especially the effects. The effects in this movie are fucking just out of this world incredible. Uh, I love the creature features, uh, the creature feature effects, just, just, I can't believe how good they are, like, you kind of unfortunately made a un unintentionally sad comment by mentioning, uh, this is one of the very last of its kind, but, um, yeah, seeing that this is one of the very last movies of pre-CGI, you can really tell just how far they pushed this movie, and how much they pushed the blob, and how much they pushed the creature in this movie, like, you can see just how it's going all over the place, how it's crawling on the ceiling, and just how it attaches to things, just, whoa, like, that's so damn impressive. I, I was watching this movie, and there's so many sequences where I wa I literally watched about three hours of people talking about how they made this movie. I listened to, like, I watched the movie multiple times. I've watched it with multiple commentaries. I've literally heard them explain in detail how they made the effects. Doesn't change my opinion of the movie, because I watched the movie, and I'm still like, how the fuck I still do don't believe it. Like, no, like, I'll hear them talk. I'll hear them explain this, like... Oh, well, what we did here is we used this thing, and then we moved it by using a couple of do uh, dallies, and then we moved it to this thing by using these special rods. And I'm like, I still don't fucking believe you! That's how incredible this is! Good lord! Yeah, like, the way that they made this is, like, they just filled a bunch of bags. Like, they filled a bunch of, like, nylon, like, nylon bags with, uh with a whole bunch of like filling thickening agent and then they just use that as their slimy things and you're like damn like for like the base blob shots like that's all it is but they still give it so much character like you really feel the scariness of the blob when it fucking kills somebody <laughs> good lord like it just a few plastic bags and yet somehow that creates more character than i've seen in than most other horror movies like that's amazing. Oh, one of the things is uh, it, it's it's very much uh, Chuck Russell talks a lot when he's interviewed about this movie is that one of his big things is he wanted to come up with horrible deaths. Like what would be a horrible way to die? And there's not many ways worse than feeling yourself dissolve, right? Like they yeah. really go through a lot of sequences where they go, oh yeah, like this person is still alive. Like, there are constantly people whose, like, faces will, like, get pressed up. I remember when the, when the cop, the, the sheriff, gets, like, pressed up against the, uh, the part of the telephone booth when the lady's about to get, like, crushed. His eye is still moving because he's still alive. He's in, like, extreme pain and, like, half his face is melted, but he's still alive. Also, uh, just because I know that I think you'll find this hilarious... In one of the commentaries, as that body goes by, I'm not sure who, but someone laughs and goes, Haha, blue lives matter. As the oh, thing, shit! As, oh! 
And oh, fuck. <laughs> and I died. I was like, wait, what? Damn. That's a damn. Damn. Poor Jeffrey DeMunn. Poor Jeffrey DeMunn. But it's, again, it's like a great scene that you're not expecting because they set it up so well where he goes, he's like, he gives her, her his card that has his phone number on it. They have like a strict time when they're supposed to meet. So you know that he's going to kind of be in the area and there should be meeting up. And these two are going to have a great relationship. Oh, they're both dead. They're both. Or what about, uh, I think uh, one of the greatest subversions in this movie is uh, what happens to Paul Taylor. Uh, I love that they play with the, the idea with him as a character where it's like, oh, he's the charming boyfriend. And if this were the 50s movie, he would totally be the hero. And you think, oh, like, he's the charming boyfriend. He's going to make it. And then, uh, well, when he dies, um... Probably one of the probably most graphic deaths of the movie, not to mention poor uh, Meg Penny, poor Shawnee Smith, uh, sees what happens to her boyfriend and, oh my god, pulls his fucking arm off his his body. Uh, wow, that entire sequence is horrifying and is one of the best moments of the movie, and it's still pretty early on in the movie. Yeah, it was also used a lot in the marketing, right? Like, that was, for the longest time when this movie was on DVD, that was always the cover image. Oh, yeah, and it's a beautiful sequence, too. You see his face inside the blob and just the deterioration and him screaming in pain. Yeah, it holds up really well. And that was, like, actually him and that stuff, right? Like getting Yeah, that is, and... that is just amazing. Like, seeing... Donovan Leach just, like, I'm, I'm trying to imagine Donovan Leach just inside all that, like, weird, like, possible gelatin-like substance and just, ugh, like, just, oh, God, that is incredible. It's, yeah, it's pretty gross. There's, there's, a, there's one of the uh, behind-the-scenes special features is just shots of them prepping effect sequences and doing molds and everything like that. So there is, uh, there's a moment where they are like, you get to watch as they mold, uh, they pour the mold onto his head for that sequence when because they, they had to make some, some, not all of it was him in there. Um, and it's so funny and it's like weirdly peaceful because it's just like all these like very it's just some mundane, yes! uh, you know, music the... happening as somebody just gets like blob stuff. Movie movie staff just making this like weird substance. Just like, yeah, this is our job for this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Like that there are so many like weird little people who worked on this movie that like they just kind of like you wouldn't really expect uh, like the production designer is also the production designer from like the original Halloween. Oh, so his, holy shit! Nice. Yeah, and he's talking about how he made the production. Like a little thing is he talking about how they made the furniture and they made the set deck decoration for the original Halloween, and it was literally like them loading up uh, random. Like they were borrowed their friend's furniture for a day, and they would load it up in a truck, and then they would drive it unload it set it up for the movie then they'd have to load it back up and load it load it back home but like they had to like literally borrow their friend's furniture and he's like talking about as his career goes by and again like this is one of the bigger budget movies he worked on it's so fascinating because for all of these people like this is uh kind of their big big break uh or it was supposed to be and then the movie flopped which kind of sucks which is such a goddamn crying shame this really goes into and i know i know a lot of film nerds who will use this as a sort of a coping mechanism to kind of deal with it and just help other film nerds deal with it but like this is in that unfortunately long line of great uh movies that just uh just didn't go over well with the crowd this is in that long line of uh Blade Runner, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and, you know, other really great movies that just unfortunately didn't do too well. I think, I think, uh, uh, um, apparently it actually tested pretty well. It was just the fact that it didn't get a great release. Uh, they didn't really... Which is really unfortunate. It deserved so much better. It really, really deserves so much better. This is one of the best movie remakes of all time, and it deserves so much more. Well, yeah, and and this was like really um, did the I don't I'm trying to think like were there a lot of remakes in the 90s? Like as we got no, out of this period, like uh, this not of. Um, especially the beginning of the 90s, like the, or like, uh, I mean, beginning 90s, like from about 1990 to about 1996, almost, holy shit. Um, 
the 90s were in kind of a dry period. Uh, none of the big franchises were there anymore. Uh, Freddy was gone, uh, was technically quote-unquote dead. Jason was gone in 93. Freddy was gone in 91. And a lot of horror was just sort of stagnant. And a lot of it was either getting re- released uh, direct-to-video by uh, lower-income companies or... Uh, just not really getting any actual attention because uh, a lot of people, you think, when making horror in the 90s, were just kind of running on empty. Uh, unless you were one of the, unless you were the one of the magic few who worked on, say, something like Silence of the Lambs, which, uh, for the record, as a film nerd, uh, with uh, as a film nerd, I will I will put my vote in that Silence of the Lambs is a horror movie. I uh, know a lot of people will try to. Uh, a lot of people try to disagree or try to argue against it, but no, Silence of the Lambs is a horror movie, and it did get recognized by the Academy. Just because it got recognized by the Academy does not make it not a horror movie. It is a horror movie. I just, sorry, I just had to clarify that. I just wanted to clarify that because, yeah. I agree, I agree. And it's like, uh, you know, there's a lot of scenes in that that are different. I've seen many police procedurals and thrillers and stuff like that, and there's a difference. Like, if you watch it right beside, there's a difference, people. Oh, yeah. And uh, one of the very few shining gems out of the early 90s period of horror was Candyman. Uh, But that's for an entirely different podcast. Um, yeah, the, the 90s was sort of a weird, stagnant era, era of horror. You didn't have the creativity of the mid to late 80s in horror, because I think you can count it from about 1984 or 1985 to about 1989, where there was this really creative period in horror with movies like uh, <clears throat> like Fright Night, uh, Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, with uh, movies, uh, you know, like Child's Play. You had these actually creative horror movies, like Waxwork, you know, movies that are a lot more metaphorical and meta about being horror, about uh, movies that take risks and chances as horror movies, movies that really show the attention of, uh, hey, there are fans of this actual genre of film, so let's uh, play tribute to them. Let's show them that... Oh yeah, right. Uh, these creatures exist, and here's why they exist. Or uh, let's play around with the ideas of the creature or the rules of the creature. Right. Yeah. No. Exactly. Exactly. Do you want to hear some of the weird parts that are in the novelization? Because I. Oh hope- yes, please. Yes, yes, please. I live for those bizarre ad- adaptations of horror movies. <laughs> okay, so there is a little bit of added stuff about the town, which I thought was interesting. Apparently, there's a brewery at the town, and it's not doing well. Rest in peace, the brewery. Small town in America in the 80s facing issues? Shut the front door. <laughs> and uh, there's, like, it was supposed to be a skiing town, um, which kind of, you see, like, brief spots about this, and they briefly talk about, oh, there's no snow here, but you don't really get Kind the- of hilariously ironic, considering where they film Novi and Louisiana, you know, yeah, the place I think of when I think of snow is Louisiana. Uh, no, it was filmed in Louisiana. I, I guarantee you it was filmed in Louisiana. I saw the ending credits. Well, there's pro- there's a there's a lot of different locations. They, they, they filmed some stuff in Griffith Park, California. The most of it was filmed in Abbeysville, South Carolina. Uh, but I bet you they also did film parts in Louisiana as well. They might have done... Um, so there's a movie within a movie in that. Um, and yeah, so that's called like the oh, garden. Yeah, the, ki- the movies tool. that the kids see. Yeah, the movie that the kids see. So that one might have been because I know that was done midway through the shoot, and they needed to prepare some sets. So maybe they did do that in Louisiana. I'm not sure, but I believe you. Um, there's a there's a whole bunch of places they film this, but um, the the um the town they they give a reason for why there's such huge giant sewers under this small town. And uh, that's because there was flooding problems when the town was first uh, founded. And I'm like, okay, like, I, this is, I guess, interesting to know, but also weird. Um, they uh, really go out of their way to add in things um, 
that there is a Pepsi machine, not a Coke machine, where in the movie in the hospital there is a Coke machine. Yeah, I was like, what? Like, what? They why even did they, change they that? even thank Coca Cola of America in the ending credits. If you go at the very end of the credits in these special thanks, they thank Coca Cola, the Coca Cola Corporation. Right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know the scene where uh, Kevin Dillon licks a uh, sl- slimy Robocop boy's face? Yeah. Yeah. In the book, he kisses him. Not nice. On the lips. On the <laughs> lips. Because they, they, they kiss him on the lips, and he's like, oh, you need a new you need a new type of lipstick. Oh, Your oh Brian Flagg, you anti-authority motherfucker. <laughs> and I was like, what? That's amazing. Okay. Um, the blob is, like, treated like he's sentient, in a way. Yeah. And you actually, he, he will, he will, like, the, I say he, it could be they, they, them, the blob. Let's respect all gender markers here. Exactly, exactly. It is, um, it's like, I feel pain, and I feel anger and hunger. <laughs> and there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of, uh, little stories about the blob eating birds and eating squirrels. Not and you're like, oh, no, no. One of the weirdest additions to the book, in one sequence, um, there's the one sequence where we get the projectionist in the movie. Um, for some reason, the book, the projectionist has a monkey. Wow. Okay. That's, huh. Of all the, I don't know why. Of all the people and places in that town to have a monkey, the projectionist. Yep. And the projectionist monkey does get eaten. All right. Um, one of the, one of the weird things is, um, so they give, so they do the end credit quota, quota, where they, where they do the same thing where it's like the preacher who, uh, has like gone away with a piece of the blob and has started being like a doomsday preacher they they say that he changed his name to reverend storm in the book and i was like okay and they also go out of their way to talk about the fact that it's the first time he drinks alcohol whereas in the movie you literally see him like leaving when he first see the blob he like literally drops a bottle of liquor because he's like supposed to be like a drunk preacher right so i thought i thought that was a weird uh, and interesting change um, those are like the big changes. The the book is actually surprisingly pretty good. Like it's it's pretty good. Like it, I mean, it follows the um, you know follows the the plot of the the movie pretty well. And there's not too too many changes. But I do think that they have some very interesting setups. Like the uh, it's very effective in the book the way that they describe Paul's death, for example, uh, and very horrifying. So I mean, if you end up finding it, it's well worth it. I actually. There's a guy, a gentleman on YouTube who uh, created an audiobook for it, and I'll link to that nice. in the show notes when we when Oh, we do that, that sounds lovely. Yeah, yeah, it was lovely. He even put some music behind some of it, uh, and it was uh, very nice. You, every once in a while, you hear one of the pages turn as he reads it from, like, a book. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, was, uh, it was nice and quaint. But, yeah, that's, that's a fantastic. novelization. It's one of the more uh, sought-after and talked-about novelizations, actually. Like, I, I, I've done a lot of research as to, like, oh, what's the best novelizations? And people really seem to be uh, a fan of the Blobs novelization. And I can see why. It was a, it was a great read. Um, did you have any favorite performances uh, as we kind of go down the line? Uh, yeah, actually. I really appreciated and uh, enjoyed Kevin Dillon's performance as Brian Flagg. And I loved the sort of movies, sort of, an, uh, I loved the movie's sort of thematic elements with with Brian Flagg as a character, a lot of the anti-authority, very uh, anti- sort of his anti-authority like character. I really, I really liked that. I loved just everything he sort of stood for as a character, and I liked how much the movie kind of backs his whole point of being anti-authority. I, I thought that was very interesting, and I thought that was very, I thought that was very unique how the film kind of went with that as its sort of message. In a sense, I think that was very interesting. Uh, Shawnee Smith was very charming and great. Uh, she plays a great final girl. She gets to do a lot of kick-ass things. She gets a lot of great moments, especially, I think, after what happens to Paul. I think her character really changes into this interesting character of just, like, she just witnessed, you know, this otherworldly horror, and it's just, like, not only does it feel like no one believes her, but it's just like, how do you explain it? Like, how do you explain what you just went through? Uh, she was great. I uh, really fell for Donovan Leach as Paul. Because uh, he plays the char- he plays that whole charming boyfriend thing very well. It, like, especially with how the movie kind of lures you in with that, where you think it's just going to be this. And 
oh, look, the two are going to go on a, on a date. How cute. And, no, look, it's going to be this. And you think it's going to go in that direction. Uh, I think they both play their they both play their roles uh, uh, very well. I uh, loved it. It was always nice to see Candy Clark in a movie. Gotta love Candy Clark. Uh, Jeffrey Damana, Sheriff Geller. Uh, I think his role was played out to be very well. I loved the little shout out and uh, po- uh, 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 excuse me, uh, shout out and uh, casting with Del Close as the Reverend and who he was in the uh, as he was in the Blob sequel. Uh, that's nice little casting choice we got there. Someone from one of the original Blob movies in the Blob remake. You gotta love that. That's really awesome. <laughs> Um, actually, two little shout-outs I want to I wanna give out, uh, for this movie that I, I, when I noticed that, I was like, oh, holy crap, that's so cool, but, uh, uh, two shout-outs that I want to give are to actors Jack Nance, who, of course, was, uh, was the main character in one of my favorite David Lynch movies, Eraserhead. Actually, not even one one of my favorites, my favorite David Lynch movie, Eraserhead. Uh, my very favorite David Lynch movie. And uh, Bayou Billingsley. And for any of you out there who are who uh, may be a big old anime nerd like myself, you may remember him from the phenomenal English dub of Cowboy Bebop where he played Jet Black. So... When I uh, saw his character and I realized who he was, I was like, Oh my god, it's Jet Black himself! That's so amazing! And I just freaked out. I was flipping my shit. That was awesome. That's amazing. That's amazing. It's really surprising that, like... So Shawnee Smith uh, is, like, probably most well-known nowadays for her role in the Saw movies. And uh, that's a very different character. So, you know, it oh, really yeah, kind of does go show, show her range. Uh, I feel bad that she got stuck with a bunch of Saw sequels and didn't get a bunch eh. of Blob sequels, as that would have been probably cooler for her career, but... I have a weird mixed relationship with the Saw movies. I liked the first couple. Uh, I really especially like part one, and I appreciated what it kind of did for horror. Um... But I, I have a very mixed relationship with those movies. But I do appreciate uh, her performance as Meg in this movie, and I really appreciate what she did in the oh, film. Oh, yeah. I especially yeah, no, want, she's uh, great. Before I completely uh, lose, uh, not lose, before I completely go off the subject, though, I just want to quickly mention uh, a cool little extra actor shout-out to another voice actor, Robert Axelrod as Jennings, and uh, someone who uh, a lot of horror nerds may know, uh, Bill Mosley as a soldier in the sewer so holy shit bill freaking mosley he's interviewed on the blu-ray and i was like really you're gonna interview bill like i love bill mosley but he's in this movie for like five minutes no it's like wait it's like can we get bill mosley can we okay awesome we got him we got bill mosley we're gonna fucking interview him it's like okay sure i'm down for that right right okay so here is here is uh a um i watched too many commentaries and no too much fact okay so, on the most recent Blu-ray, the most recent commentary, the new commentary that was made for the Blu-ray, and in this interview, there is, there, he, um, Chuck Russell both times uh, goes, oh yeah, this ribbed story, the story where, like, so uh, one of the teens buys condoms, and then the person they bought condoms from ends up being the date's father, right? So on, on on those commentaries and in that interview, he swears that that is something that actually happened to somebody he knew. <laughs> so he claims it's a true story. But here's the thing. On the archival commentary on the Screen Factory disc, which is from a long time ago, and I bet you he did not think that it was going to be ported over for this one, he uh, straight up says that that is an urban legend that he wanted to adapt for his uh, <laughs> for his movie. So I was like, "We got gotcha. you! I got gotcha, you, Chuck Russell." I am unfor- I'm sad that that's not a true story because I'd really hope that the person he also interacted with uh, in the real life situation would have been Art Lafleur. Because Art Lafleur, he can sure make some faces. And if there's anything I appreciate in this movie more than the rest of the cast, it's Art Lafleur. Goddamn, that man's that man is fantastic. His delivery of ribbed is like is is so funny. It's so funny. Just like I can't believe I have to deal with these kids. Oh my god. Yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, speaking of that scene and that on um, that character, what did you think of Ricky Paul Golden, 
who plays the like scumbag boyfriend who like tries to sexually assault that woman and then gets eaten. I'm, I was wondering what you thought about that. I, um, you know. He's a scummy character, but I can at least say that the, one of the positives about him is that he gets a pretty great graphic death. Yeah, he does. He does. Um, it's it's one of those things where it's it's a very interesting. I'm glad that uh, they they almost like you know horror movies are so often accused of moralizing, right? Like that's yeah. kind of what, uh, and oftentimes that's not the truth at all. Like that's not really what's going on. Like they it's it's more often that they very rarely uh, moralize, yeah. but. Um, but this is actually a good moralization. Don't be a fucking creep and you, you, or you'll get eaten by the blob. They literally say yeah. that in the commentary. They're like, don't sexually assault anyone. Yeah, don't be a fucking creep. By the blob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which don't make a, please her. don't make rape drinks in the back of your car. Please don't. Please don't touch a woman's blouse. Please don't touch a woman's blouse without her permission, you fucking creepy piece of shit. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, he, he deserved the blobbing that happened to him. It's it's very surprising because oh, one of the things that this movie does really well and a big strength of the movie is the fact that it constantly manages to escalate things, which I thought was really fascinating. Because in other movies, like... Man, I've seen a lot of horror movies from this time. There's usually like two or three good kills, right? Like there's usually two or three big effect sequences. But in this movie, there are so many because you get that sequence. You get like the full scene that happens in the hospital. But then it, it keeps going and it keeps getting bigger and bigger until at the end, it's like the blob is literally destroying the town and knocking things over and like tearing people with tendrils off the streets as it's like going down and taking out this entire town and i was just really amazed by the fact that they had the budget and the means and the ability to keep upping the ante because that's really hard to do uh especially in a horror movie because oftentimes uh a horror movie especially from this era uh their first kill will always be like the first or third kill will always be the best and everyone is every other one is kind of like a downgrade from there or whatever uh and a movie is always more than it kills so just i'm just you know i'm just using that as a point of reference to say how impressive it was that the effects team manages to keep up with the uh further escalation of the film um but all that effects uh sequences would be meaningless if it didn't have a good camera like if it did not have like a good script to go along with it right so that's like really really the the important part of it i'm kind of bummed that really chuck russell's career is not as huge as you'd think. Like, his other biggest, like, his biggest movie after this. The way he started off, like, he started off with two damn really good, like, I'd say really good, but screw that. No, damn great movies. Uh, Nightmare 3 is uh, wonderful and a great entry into the series and probably the best sequel next to New Nightmare, IMO. And then you have The Blob, and it's also fantastic in its very own right. Right, and then he doesn't direct something until '94, where he did the Jim Carrey The Mask, which which like, is of all the movies to of all the uh, different movies to direct, and of all the like exact opposites to direct The Mask. Yeah, exactly. I don't love The Mask, but it was a very yeah. important cultural cultural film. But yeah. also, it's it's it very much showed the fact that he wanted to get into CG because that's like a very CG heavy film. Oh, definitely, yeah. And, and then he goes on and he directs Eraser, which is that Schwarzenegger movie that's, like, fine. Um, it has, like, two good lines, one of which is, you've just been erased. And yep. then he, that one part where he shoots a big crocodile and goes, your luggage. Uh, and that's <laughs> the only good parts of that movie. Uh, you're welcome, yeah. everyone. Uh, he also did The Scorpion King. Like, what? Oh. He did The Scorpion King? Do you know how many Scorpion King sequels there are? I don't want to even imagine how many. Okay, so let's see. Um, it appears to be five. There are five. Oh my god. There is Quest for Power, Rise of a Warrior, Battle for Redemption, and 2018's Book of Souls. Uh, yeah, so I guess the, that's, you know, the Blob didn't get any sequels, but that sure did. That sure did. And then his most recent movie is is a very interesting movie um, in that it appears to be a Bollywood film. 
Yeah, of all movies, of all the movies he jumped into, yeah, an Indian movie. Yeah, yeah, which is just a, a truly fascinating uh, a change. Like I, I don't know how many Hollywood directors would go, uh, go and do that for. Not to mention, one of the very few pieces of television he managed to work on was an episode of Fringe, a series that unfortunately fell under my radar. I knew a lot of people who watched it and loved it, and it got a lot of cult-like success, and I'm usually into those types of shows, but I just never got into Fringe for some reason. I still might try sometime soon, because I don't know, it I, It sounds like it could be a lot of fun, but eh, maybe, you know, sometime soon. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a great thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. Who knows how long quarantine's gonna last? You're probably gonna have time. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, I any other, like, I mean, I feel like this is one of those movies where we could probably talk for ages and ages. Oh, dear God, yes. I, 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 fuck, I, oh, God, I would fucking go on forever for just the special effects in the movie and just those blob effects. Like, God damn, those are amazing. Uh, I especially have to give some credit to this movie for not only being so ruthless and, and perfect with its usages of gore and violence, um... Also, shout out to Frank Darabont as a writer in this movie because if you, there's one thing you have to, well, it's not you, it's not that you have to know this, but if you've ever seen a Frank Darabont movie, if you're uh, not, not sure of his work of his uh, material, if there's one thing that Frank Darabont will do other than just being ruthless in his horror, Frank Darabont will fucking kill some kids. Frank Darabont doesn't give a shit. Uh, if you have Frank. If you have Frank Darabont as your writer, oh god, uh, get ready. Uh, get ready for some, get some ruthlessness. He will make the parent kill their own child. Like, oh, he, yep. he don't give a fuck. He don't give a fuck. I'm not gonna spoil what movie that is, but he don't give a oh, fuck. Oh, no, no, he'll, no, 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 no. Uh, he's, Frank he's Darabont. the honey badger of filmmaking. There, there are directors and there are horror movies that won't kill the kids, they won't kill the animals, they won't kill the special character that's so sweet and innocent. No, 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 no. Frank Darabont will do that. Uh, if uh, you're watching a Frank Darabont horror movie, oh, holy fuck. Uh, get ready for some sorrow. Get ready for so, some yeah. sorrow. Here, here's a question I have for you. In Cabin in the Woods, do you think that bicycle jump sequence is a direct reference to this movie? I kind of wondered about that because it had, element, it had certain elements in that sequence that reminded me. And when I watched... Uh, when I finally watched the Blob remake, I was like, that kind of reminds me of that sequence in Cabin in the Woods, but I kind of wonder if that was intentional or not. I, I, mean, I wonder, because there are a lot of, like, pretty, uh, you know, very prescient If it, uh, if it was, then that, that would be a nice little show-off, because, I mean, Cabin in the Woods is built off of horror movie references. Like, that's the whole kind of point of the movie. Like... It's, at first you think it's going to be this type of movie, but then, oh, fuck, there's a whole universe of this other thing, and, uh, well, that uh, that whole universe controls uh, the whole world. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So I guess uh, before before we kind of give our final thoughts and just kind of head out, I want to know, what, where does this, have you seen a lot of other blob-related things? Like, do you like the idea of the blob, or do you find it only good when implemented well? few that well unfortunately i haven't watched the entire thing i do enjoy the original blob from the sequences i've seen i thought the filming of it was very innovative and had a, and has a, it has a very nice 50s charm to it as a horror movie a 50s horror movie charm to it that i really enjoy i enjoyed some of the performances i love the actors and who was casted and who you know what they what they went on to do later in their careers uh <coughs> excuse me um uh I appreciate some of the cinematography of the movie. I especially love the big chase sequence in the third act. Uh, when everybody, everybody empties out of that big theater, uh, that sequence is amazing. Just that big chase sequence, that scene is so cool. I, I'm, I love that they kind of remade it uh, for the, 80, uh, the 80s remake, and that scene's also fantastic. The entire th theater sequence in this movie is just excellent, especially when it's just like... Like that one poor girl who's like melted into the floor when uh Meg checks on her and like she peels off the character's face off the ground. Oh, oh. but uh, yeah, no, I really enjoy the 
original Blob. I have unfortunately not seen its sequel. I would like to, though. I feel weird for only realizing today that it's a 70s movie. I thought it was from the 60s, so... Uh, seeing something, uh, seeing a blob movie done in the 70s, I, that's already ringing some interesting bells in me in my head. I'd really like to see how that movie turned out. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm very interested to, to see that. We'll have you back. We'll, you know, we'll, you'll be on all of our blob movies. How about that? Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Jeez. Um, yeah, I, I, that's fascinating. I, have you ever seen Kaltiki the Immortal Monster, which is the Italian one? Uh, no, I have not. Actually, I don't think I've even heard of that movie. An Italian uh, monster movie. That's, uh... I am liking the sound of that, though. Yeah, so Kaltiki the Immortal Monster was made, like, right after, uh, like, right in that same time period as the original uh, Blob, but it was uh, directed by Mario Bava. Mario Bava! Mario Bava! Oh my god! Whoa! Yeah, man. Mario Bava in a Blob movie. So, yeah, you'll get God like damn, that's, uh... Okay, you have me interested now. <laughs> you want to find that magic word that get me hooked? Uh, yeah, Mario Bava. Okay, then. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I guess uh, any final thoughts and uh, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, final thoughts. I think this is, uh, I've said it before, but I just want to establish it again, that uh, this is one of the greatest movie remakes of all time, and... Uh, I think this movie, The Fly, and the uh, 82 version of The Thing are examples on how to do a movie remake. Uh, and you know what? I'll go to bat for it, even though it does deserve some of its criticism, and I hate that it unfortunately got fucked over by the movie studio execs. Of course, you know, they always win. I'll even go to bat for the 2011 remake of the uh, prequel of The Thing. I, I'm sorry that the really cool, awesome practical effects got fucked over by CGI. God damn it. Um... Uh, the uh, 80s remakes um, from that category are are the best examples on how to do a remake. Uh, this movie is so much on how to do a good remake. Uh, great performances. And uh, yeah, one of the very few uh, examples of gore and violence being effective and frightening and scary. Uh, all the kills are great. They leave you uh, at edge. Uh, they're scary. They're frightening. They're excellent. They're so well done. Uh, Frank Darabont will fucking kill some kids. Um, um, <laughs> On uh, his resume, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> Frank Darabont, he will kill some kids. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I love this movie, and I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, its special effects are just so incredible. I can't get enough of it. I can't get enough of the special effects, especially just how they made them, how they did it. It's so amazing. This movie really is. I think uh, this movie should be film should be shown in film class on how to do special effects. Like, if anybody wanted to actually study that, like what were practical effects before computers, uh, this movie is so much uh, an example of that. This is what practical effects can do. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, uh, this movie is just fantastic, and it was one of the best remakes of all time in my humble opinion. Uh, but anyways, though, you can find me online on Twitter and Instagram as uh, ChibiUFO, where I post uh, pictures and tweets uh, revolving around obscure old video games, horror movies, queer stuff, and disability advocacy. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, so if you if you're, uh, enjoyed this podcast, please rate us five stars on whatever podcasting platform you use, uh, and you're interested in uh, throwing a few bucks our ways to support us, uh, we have a Patreon where every week right now we're going through a different item in dinosaur-related media. Uh, you know, we've, we've covered entire series before. We covered V, the, uh, you know, the first few miniseries of V. Uh, you know, we've covered a lot of kind of miscellaneous uh, things here and there. And, uh, yeah, so uh, we're always kind of looking for new stuff to, to cover. And if you want to hear us cover something, uh, you know, become a patron and send us a message. And chances are we'll, uh, we'll do it. Um, so thank you and have a great day. Goodbye.